Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, I'm Harriet Minter, and this is the Badass Women's Hour. This week, I ask why we're still obsessed with Kate Winslet's weight, talk to author Holly Smale about being diagnosed with autism late in life, and ponder on why it is that we care so much about what our friends think. Have you been watching Mare of Easttown? I have, and I am obsessed. It's well-plotted, intense without being so dark that I need therapy after each episode, unlike Your Honour, and clever but not too clever because, let's face it, all of our brains have been mushed by lockdown. And like any programme I'm obsessed with, I like to read any and every article that I can find about it. I don't know if you do that too, but I just like to read around, see what other people are saying, which is how I came to read a piece about Kate Winslet by a male journalist in The Times. He shall remain nameless because I'm nice like that, but he doesn't really deserve it. I think the piece was supposed to be an interview, but I can't really call it an interview. It did feature quotes from Kate, but... They were from a very old interview. So it seemed that the journalist in question had interviewed her when she was about 19. And from the quotes that we used, that entire interview just seemed to have been about her body. The piece was littered with comments about her refusal to be assigned zero, how that made her stand out in Hollywood, how her new show plays against beauty. If you're seeing the show, you'll notice technically isn't really totally true. I mean, she's maybe not like a great Grace Kelly beauty in it, but she is still a very attractive woman in her 40s. She just isn't pimped and preened to the extent that this journal clearly thinks all women should be. And Twitter went into an inevitable fury about the piece, and I felt the same. If I'm being honest, I, I mean, I know that Kate Winter is amazing. She's an incredible actress, but I don't feel we would be friends is what I'll say about it. I just, I don't know that she's going to be that much fun on a night out. Um, however, I have always really admired her for being someone who clearly just feels really comfortable in her body, doesn't really care then what anyone else thinks about it or what she should do or not do with it. She's just quite in it. She's in her body, which is, I think, for a woman, she's similar age to me, growing up in a generation where we're just bombarded with lectures about how not in our body we should be. I think it's pretty impressive. So I was really sad to see this interview from like 20 years ago being rejigged and brought back into today's society because I think the biggest problem with this piece was it reminded me that for men, the default view on women is what they look like first and everything else second. And I was so hopeful that we'd at least move far enough beyond that, that men at least knew it wasn't good form to publish a piece talking about what women looked like first and well, there wasn't really anything else in this piece. I just thought we'd move past the days when a 2,000-word think piece on a woman's body was considered acceptable. 
but no. And that's the thing about progress, isn't it? When we don't keep an eye on it, it goes back. Because that article wasn't just written by a journalist, it was written by a journalist, it was subbed by a sub-editor, it was seen by an editor, it was seen by that editor's editor. The whole thing went through a review process several rounds long, and yet it still made it into a paper. Because sometimes we forget that we have to keep a watch on progress and we have to continually question what people think of as normal. This is the Badass Women's Hour podcast. Actually, that really fits with the theme for this week's interview. This week, I interviewed the amazing Holly Smell. Holly is an author whose Geek Girl books have sold in their millions. She based the lead character in Geek Girl on herself, but it was only in her 40s that she realised both she and the character she had created suffered from autism. She explained why it is that so many women receive late diagnosis, let me give you a clue, sexism, and how being able to understand herself better has helped her find her place in the world. She's so inspiring and I learned so much from this interview. Here she is. Tell us about Geek Girl. Um, so Geek Girl was a series that I uh, first brought out in 2013, I think, um, about a geeky 15-year-old who is socially inept, um, easily overwhelmed, struggles to process her emotions, um, and generally kind of struggles to communicate with the world around her, um, sees the world in a very different way through animal facts, through statistics and bullet point lists. Um, and yeah, it was, it was very much based on me as a teenager. Um, and, you know, we both struggled with being bullied essentially and your teenage self did you as a teenager were you aware that you were more of a geek and did you understand why uh no I well I knew I was a geek I that that was inevitable I I knew the first time I (laughs) the first time I showed uh, a four-year-old my rock collection um so yeah I I knew I was a geek and I knew I was different I knew that I preferred reading books to talking to children I knew that the people around me made no sense and I didn't enjoy the things that other kids enjoyed um and I felt that my entire life and obviously you know you don't really stop you don't change as you get older um and so yeah my my geekiness kind of went into different directions I got a master's in Shakespeare for instance which is like the geekiest thing in the world um um, and you know but as I got older and older I I started you know I was really I'd always struggled with so many elements of just being alive um and yeah it wasn't until I hit my 39th year that I realized and was diagnosed as autistic which at what point I realized that my character was as well and I hadn't realized I mean, I think this is so fascinating that you wrote a character that you now recognise as autistic, but you were simply just writing your own experience of the world. Up until that point, had nobody suggested to you, maybe perhaps there's something you want to check out here? Oh, well, uh, not, well, actually, you know what, looking back, it's quite difficult because I don't really take, being an autistic person, I don't really take hints. So unless someone literally, you know, oh, wow. slams a brick into my face and says, you're autistic, <laughs> I don't get the hint. So looking back, I do realise that, you know, at three years old, I was told um, that my mum was told I was a, a special child who would have her own very different path in life. Um, my uh, teacher at eight made me cupboard monitor because I found being in the playground too difficult um, and was overwhelmed by it. Uh, and my doctor, when I was 17, told me that I uh, had a brain that was wired differently and that's okay. And, you know, those, those sort of things are lovely and they're really compassionate and I, I feel... I feel very grateful that I had people that were looking out for me but clearly all of them were going she's autistic 
like mm. and no one said it so I didn't realize um and yeah I it, you know it took me 39 years to go I can't you know it can be scary you know you have meltdowns shutdowns burnouts it's not it's not easy and it took me 39 years to go hang on a second <laughs> I need to be at that <laughs> I was reading about your story and one of the things that I thought was absolutely fascinating was that you sort of self-diagnosed yourself. Yeah, well, kind of, because I'd had written Harriet for 10 years, you know, I'd, I'd lived as, as Harriet and my teenage self for 10 years. And over the years, people had come to me and gone, I'm autistic and she reminds me of me. Or the parents had gone, my kid's autistic and she's really connecting. Or, you know, even in one case, I believe a, a, a rather large autistic society said, we believe she may be autistic. <laughs> <laughs> but like still not enough of a brick in the face, clearly. Um, and I was constantly like, uh, well, I'm not. So I guess she's not either. Um, and now looking back and I knew nothing about autism, essentially. And I think that's part of the reason I'm speaking about it is that I knew so little about autism, especially in girls and, and women, which is very different yeah. to boys, um, that I didn't recognize myself. And, and now I know more. I look back and I look at Harriet, for instance, who's climbing under tables because things are too overwhelming. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, that should have been pretty obvious. Um, so, yeah, it's one of the reasons that I am trying to talk about it, even though it's quite difficult, because it, it, we should be able to recognize it quicker. Well, this is one of the things I thought was so fascinating when you wrote about it, which is you talked about how a lot of the things that are actually kind of diagnostic criteria for autism, we reward young girls for. Can you give us some yeah. examples of that? Yeah. So, um, you know, because culturally uh, boys and girls are kind of expected to be in some ways different. A lot of the diagnostic criteria for autism just gets put, gets given different words, essentially. So, you know, if I had a meltdown in a supermarket because lights and noise overwhelm me and colours overwhelm me because I'm hypersensitive to, I have no filter, so I can't shut out colours, noise, sounds, that kind of thing. So when I had a meltdown, for instance, people just said I was dramatic because I was a girl. Um, when I couldn't handle any kind of dirt, they said I was just very tidy and clean. Um, you know, when I was hiding in cupboards, they would say that I was very sensitive. Um, so, you know, and, and I, my eating was always very, very, I became vegetarian at four off my own back because, you know, eating animals is bad. So, you know, moral rigidity is, is, is an autistic quality. Um, and, you know, they were just like, she's just a bit fussy. So, you know. It, all these qualities and that's that's just the tip of the iceberg but you know all these qualities that had I been a boy hiding in a cupboard with my hands over my ears um get crying because I, I had a dog hair on my jumper like I think that the the teachers would have been like okay I think this is pretty but, but because I was a girl they were like oh she's so bookish <laughs> like so you know it's it is it's crazy because you know the diagnostic difference between the ratio of boys to girls is bonkers at one point there were 16 times more diagnosed mm -hmm. diagnosed boys than girls and I just don't believe that it's possible that gender can have that much of an impact I just think that all those girls got missed I think that's really interesting because I definitely, probably until the last five years now, always yeah. thought that autism was, I would say, more prevalent, that's how I describe it, more prevalent in boys because that was the kind of message that you got and everyone who I knew who had a child who was autistic, they were all boys and yeah. everyone I knew who knew someone who knew someone who'd been diagnosed were all boys. And it's only in the last five years that I've started to see not even girls being diagnosed, but women being diagnosed yeah. with autism. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, statistically, if you're getting all those little girls missed in the eighties, which was mm. when I was at school, yeah. then, you know, and, and the reality is, is that undiagnosed girls and women, we don't change. We're autistic. That's, that's how we are wired. It's a different type of, it's neurodivergence. So we don't change, but what happens is that we internalize and over the years we struggle with mental health issues and we struggle with depression and anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorder and eating disorders. We basically internalize all these issues and we really, really struggle, which means that we get to a certain age where we go, I need to know what is happening. Um, which is why so many women are now being diagnosed because they got missed 30, 20, you know, 10 years ago, even. Um, which, you know, is a good thing, but we just assume it's boys. And like you say, you know, I, I would watch, you know, we just assume if you're not rain man, essentially you're, you're not autistic, um, which is not the case at all. (laughs) And I think also it's something in that, that certain age, isn't it? It's when you get to your kind of late thirties, early forties, when actually you do, I think certainly for our generation, you kind of find your voice and you go, hang on, this thing that has kept happening to me and everyone's kept telling me is just part of life does not feel fair. And I, yeah. I want some explanation now. I want some yeah. answers. Exactly. And I, I mean, to be honest, all cards on the table. I've been seeing a therapist for three years, right? And, you know, it just people get upset and they're like, you've been seeing a therapist and they never told you. And I'm like, she's not a diagnostic practitioner. That's yeah. not her job. She was working with me and I now realise over three years for, you know, to help me manage my emotions or to help me identify my emotions because I often can't um, or to, you know, when I'm overwhelmed, how to calm down and, and that kind of thing um and you know it took me it took me three years of of intensive therapy for me to suddenly click and go wait a second uh you know and suddenly all those people saying Harriet was autistic started to to ring at the back of my head (laughs) and it was like a light bulb moment I literally I spent all night YouTubing (laughs) looking up and 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 crying because there's a lot of grief you're like 40 years of not knowing who you are it's distressing um so yeah it's, it's been a, it's been transformative can you tell us a little bit about some of the ways that perhaps you see the world that other people might not yeah I mean to be honest I'm still working it out because you yeah. just everyone automatically assumes that the way they see the world is the way that everybody else sees the world Obviously. so it, yeah exactly so you only get I mean I'm still trying to work out what you know so you know my, I have some gifts you know autistic gifts that you know that, that people other don't other perhaps don't have I remember everything that's ever happened in my life um in detail with smell and color and sound, the whole thing. It's like watching a film, which is amazing, you know. Um, on the downside, my senses are so, so sharp. I have no filter whatsoever. That, you know, it, living life is, 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 can, be, can be really, really overwhelming. Things are, you know, just a supermarket can be overwhelming. Just walking down the road, everything is very, very vivid, very, very, um, you know, it's like having everything turned up to like an 11. <laughs> um, which, you know, can be tricky. Communication, I find really hard. Um, it kind of feels like being an alien and you're constantly trying to understand the world around you from a distance that um, I think neuronormative people do not necessarily feel. They internalize the world and they adjust to it. Whereas when you're autistic, you don't. And so you're constantly like evaluating everything, looking at people's facial expressions. What facial, what, what face is that? What does that mean? What's this emotion? What, you know, it's basically, yeah. That's from what I can tell of slowly going on a journey of of working out what I am and who I am. And so when you were a child and you were going through the world, seeing it as an alien, what impact did that then have on you and perhaps your relationships with people and how you formed friendships and relationships? Well, I mean, I didn't, essentially. I mean, as a child, I didn't. I didn't have friends. 
I, I was on my own almost all the time. I found things um, overwhelming. So, you know, I spent a lot of time locked in toilets, locked in cupboards, underneath coats, on the floor, like, you know, which is sad, but that's part of the grieving process. When I look back at myself as a child and go, I just want to hug her or not hug her because I don't really like being touched, but you know, like just sort of non-touch hug her. Um, and, you know, I think it's, I think having that, you know, over the years I got used to it more I started to find people that were more like me or that I could mask essentially I could work out what a social interaction is um how does a conversation go what should I you know you learn I mean I'm nearly 40 I've learned to pretend essentially that I know what's going on um but you know I've never had a serious relationship when I'm nearly 40 because I, I I find them really stressful I'm I you know I'm an empath which means I feel everybody else's emotions no idea what my own emotions are so you know in a relationship I'm like ah you're angry I feel I, I have no idea what's happening I don't know what's going on I can't fight I'm just gonna go and sit in a corner here and pretend I can't hear you so you know not good for a relationship essentially <laughs> so yeah it has a huge impact on your life um but you know it's something that I'm slowly getting to grips with and and I think that knowing myself is going to have a big make a big difference ready to pop the question the jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds and they're ready to ship to your door Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You talked there about the grief, about mm. grieving the kind of your younger self mm. can you tell us what that's like yeah so you know as I said my memory is is bonkers which I just thought everyone had and only realized recently that nobody other people don't always remember everything that's ever happened so I remember my entire childhood sharply in like you know and I and I remember exactly how I felt and and the distress that I would go through mm. even if it's something that maybe normal people wouldn't get distressed about you know I remember big girls at school when I was five um they bullied me into taking a banana skin home with me after my lunch um and I got really distressed so I wanted to put it in the bin and they they made me take it home with me and then my mum said why are you bringing skins back with you and I spent the entire week basically taking this banana backwards and forwards to to school and um I was like six and by the end I was so distressed that I I couldn't 
process because this banana had become like the the you know the bane of my life and I look at I look at that things like that where small things became overwhelming and I can still feel the terror I I felt genuinely scared and confused and I just want to kind of go barging in and go like you know help her don't do that and I think that's part of I think my urge to do that is partly why I became a teen author you know you know I've written teen books now for 10 years because I wanted to talk to young girls and make them feel better and make them feel like they weren't alone and you know in talking out about being autistic now it's it's kind of still the same thing I'm still reaching out especially to young girls and going it's not just you you you're not the only person who feels like this and it's going to be okay it's like a life mission now for me (laughs) I mean, what a great mission, quite frankly, because as you said, I'm sure that there were people throughout your life who said things like, well, your brain is just wired differently. Do you wish they had said to you, actually, I think you might be autistic. You should look into this. I really wish they had. And I understand that it was the 80s and the 90s and it wasn't prevalent and it wasn't perhaps as acceptable as hopefully it's becoming now. And I do get that. But if they had just said, you are autistic, your brain is literally wired differently. That's why it thinks like this and does this and why you feel these, you know, you you feel these senses more sharply and and all of the, I mean, autism is so diverse um, in terms of the elements it affects. But, you know, also comes with gifts with it. You know, I have gifts that I feel so, so grateful for. Um, But if someone had just said you're autistic, I would have known who I was and I would have been able to understand that I wasn't broken because I spent a life feeling like I was broken um, and that I'd been damaged at some point and I couldn't work out when because it seemed to start when I was about one or two. (laughs) So... Yeah, I think it would have made a difference. And I think that's why when people are like, don't label things, like labels can be really helpful. You know, if you break your leg, you want a doctor to say you've broken your leg. You don't want to just hop around on that broken leg for, you know, years and years and years in pain. It's just stupid. So, yeah, big fan of labels, of course. (laughs) Obviously. Of course I'm a big fan of labels. (laughs) Get the label machine out. (laughs) Exactly. Laminate everything. Thank you. (laughs) Um, I... I am going to ask because I I said when you were talking I'm literally sitting here listening to you and thinking well a I recognize some of those things in myself like I definitely recognize the feeling of too much going on around me and being like I need to go hide somewhere I definitely recognize that this relationship is stressful I think we're done here thanks Um, (laughs) where is the kind of where is the line because we do talk about autism as a spectrum but I read you say actually you think of it as a color wheel can you tell me about that yeah so uh, back in the old days when scientists knew nothing um they essentially thought that boys could be autistic and girls could that was that's where it all the kind of gender bias came from um and in those days they thought that the spectrum was linear so it's just a line and you kind of had the mild on one end and the severe on the other and you know that's where you fell on the autistic spectrum um and now we know more about autism we know that first of all girls you know we also have autism but also the spectrum is not a linear one it's a circular one so you could be pink or green or blue but um you know essentially because of the diagnostic criteria you you are going to be more strongly affected by some things less affected by other things so for instance some autistic people are non-verbal um and they struggle to speak um struggle to communicate or write 
Um, I am, on the other hand, a hyperlexic, which means that my word skills are advanced and, you know, I was writing poetry at four. So, you know, we have different skill sets. However, it doesn't mean that in other areas I'm not struggling immensely. I, I can't remember my own phone number. I am, I'm completely useless with numbers. Um, and so it's it's less about okay well you're a little bit you're a splash of autism which isn't true yeah. or you're a big old chunk of autism which is also not true it's a case of what whereabouts on that spectrum you fall on like a completely individual area where you will share traits with everybody on the spectrum um and but also be your very own individual color essentially um and i think it's important to you know i've sold three and a half million books which mm -hmm. is nice and, and lots of people love Harriet Manners. And I, it's just really, it worries me that, that, that everybody who reads it and loved Harriet and identified with Harriet goes, does that mean I'm autistic? It's like, of course not. It means that you have compassion and empathy and you may have some human qualities that cross over. And that is completely like normal, um, but you may be autistic, it, we don't know. But you know, as, Matt, as a human, we of course share qualities, that is inevitable. But for the diagnostic process for you know, autism, it is very complex, very detailed, and it's, it's not just mental, it's not just personality behaviors, it's also physical, it's also, you know, it could be stimming, flapping, clapping. We all have um, those traits in common. So yeah, you're either on the spectrum or you're not, essentially. There's no kind of like, oh, I've got one foot on the spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what do you think what do you think the education system needs to learn about autism because I, I do imagine that's probably where the majority of diagnoses are made or lost and I'm not putting this on teachers at all it's not their responsibility no. to diagnose every child that comes in their classroom but I imagine a lot of them pick it up is there mm. more information that we need to get into the education system in order to make sure that girls in particular are not missed I think so and I think it is changing and you know I'm working started to work behind the scenes and helping that but like I think it's more it, I think awareness helps because it means that you know instead of looking at a little girl and going wow she's a she she really doesn't like like dirt does she or like wow she really likes hiding in forts and um, we can sort of have more knowledge and therefore go have you considered that perhaps this child is not just a special child, which is something that they we get called a lot when we're autistic, a special yeah. child. You're like, just say it. There's nothing wrong with the um, But you know, I think that in awareness that it, we can change things, and we'll catch them earlier. You know, we won't we won't end up with in 30 years time a bunch of a bunch of women who are struggling with mental health issues, um, which is is what's happening essentially. So I think that if we can catch them early um and support them because we need to support them you know i needed i couldn't handle a big secondary school i needed somewhere that i could go that was quiet and and low lit <laughs> full of fluff essentially that i could decompress and allow my senses to regulate again um and that kind of and, and support levels it's really important to say that although the spectrum is not a mild to severe spectrum there are people who uh, have higher support needs, um, you know, whether it's because they're nonverbal or whether it's because they, you know, physically struggle um, more um, than, than others on the spectrum. So I think it's important to say that although, you know, there are no mild to severe autism cases, there is a, a support need differentiation, which is given on the diagnosis. You're given high support needs, low support, you know, et cetera. Um, and those people with high support needs need to be a destigmatized, b understood better, and c catered for. I mean, they, that's that's your that's your nuts and bolts of of being a responsible society essentially. So hopefully, in raising awareness and making sure that 
you know, because I'm hyperlexic and I don't stop talking, um, that I can use my abilities with words to help people understand those perhaps who aren't as strong in that particular area, but might be amazing in other areas. So, you know, helping to speak for a community that has traditionally been segregated into the smart and the others, so, which is not the case. We're all gifted individually and, and, and have problems individually, so yeah. What has it given you to now be a recognised member of this community? I mean, it's been a bit crazy because I only uh, uh, basically spoke about my diagnosis a week ago. So it's been a week <laughs> of being a recognised member of this society. Uh, it's been amazing. Like people have been, I was so nervous because, you know, you worry about, you know, I have had a few people calling me fake or or um, saying I'm pretending or, you know, and I'm like, I, I, that just shows you how little we know about autism, that they assume that if you can't see it immediately, then essentially I'm pretending. But, you know, generally the community and the, the world of wide has been amazing, supportive, understanding, wanting to talk about it more. Um, and I think that being able to give, you know, women, girls, any, I mean, to be honest, men, men and boys have been reaching out as well. So yeah. just make them feel less alone and make them feel like it's nothing to be ashamed of. I mean, honestly, some of the people that built society are generally perceived now to be, um, you know, autistic. You know, we're talking like Leonardo da Vinci, Einstein, yeah. Jane Austen. You know, these people essentially didn't get picked up, but society has been created and shaped by people with autism. So there's no reason for us, any of us, to be ashamed of it. We should just be able to ask for support when we need it. If somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, that that really resonates with me, that there's just something here which feels like it could be me, what advice would you give them? Um, I think that, you know, it's it's unfortunately still a long process. I got rejected by the GP that I turned to within a sentence. I said, what's the diagnostic procedure for an adult? And they went, well, you're nearly 40. That would be, you would have been picked up. And that was the end of the conversation. Wow. So um, it's unfortunately still a very long diagnostic process. Um, I think a GP is a good place to potentially start because private can be expensive, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there are online tests, which I wouldn't use as a, a diagnosis in themselves because you know the reality is is that autism has many many crossovers with other things like ADHD or um, you know BPD or lots of different things so you don't want to misdiagnose because then you're not getting the support you need um, but you know research look into articles read stuff about it um, look on YouTube there are so many and then and then go and speak to a, a professional who will be able to help you hopefully get a diagnosis um, because yeah, it is the diagnosis helps you know who you are, and we all deserve to know who we are. Um, so yeah, that's that would be my advice. That was the brilliant Holly Smell. She's also written pieces on this for the Times and the Sun, and I recommend both of them. And finally today, why do we care so much about what our friends think? This week's listener problem reads: I've been dating a very nice man for about six months now. He's great in every way except one. He's naturally quite shy and this shyness translates his grumpiness around my friends. He becomes quiet and a bit monosyllabic. I've spoken to him about it and he's admitted it's something he finds difficult, but he's going to try and open up more and I'm sure as he relaxes around them, he'll find it easier. However, I'm now worried that my friends think he's awful and that I shouldn't be dating him. How can I change their mind? I mean, there is a lot to unpack here. So let's start at the end. How can I change their mind? Well, it's really not your job to change their mind. In fact, 
it's really not your job to think about what they're thinking at all. In this particular instance, it's your job to think about you in this relationship with this man and how that is going for you. And also, I wondered here, have your friends actually said this to you? Because if they have, well, it's not really any of their business. And I say that as a woman who has had many opinions on her friends' relationships over the years. But I'm old enough and wise enough now to know that really all of those opinions are not as important as the opinions of the person actually in the relationship. But also, if they haven't said anything to you and you just think this is what they're thinking, well, that's not something you can control. You can't control what other people think. And I actually think if you really want to change their mind, if you really want them to think this guy is fantastic for you, the best way you can do that is simply by being happy in the relationship. Be happy in the relationship, enjoy it, allow it to bring out a wonderful, happy side of you. And if they are good friends, that will make them happy too. And they won't want for anything else. They don't have to like your boyfriend to think that he is a good person or to think that you have a great relationship. And even if they don't, it's none of their business and you shouldn't be worrying about it anyway. I was listening to a great podcast the other week that really touched on exactly this issue. Glennon Doyle, who is the author of the book Untamed, which I cannot recommend highly enough, has a new podcast out where she asks some of the big questions. And in it, she talks about her relationship with her wife, Abby Ornbeck. And in it, she says how when she first got together with Abby, she, Glennon was actually married to a man. She left her husband to be with Abby. And although her family was supportive, there was quite a bit of consternation. Her mother was very worried for her. She was worried what people would think. She was worried what response they would have. She was just worried about everything. And Glennon said every time she got off the phone to her mother, she was in a sort of panic about it as well. And eventually she sat down and she had to say to her mother, she had to say, actually, me, Abby and the kids, we are now an island. Our relationship is an island. And if you want to be on the island, you have to be unequivocally happy for us. You have to get on the boat, be on the island and be with us. You cannot bring doubts and fears and judgments onto the island. Because if you are coming with doubts and fears and judgments, then we are pulling up the drawbridge and you are not invited onto the island. And I would urge you to think about your relationship in this same way, which is you and your partner are an island and you get to decide who you invite on and off that island. Also, I always say you get to leave the island as well if at some point you wish to, but you don't have to invite anyone on that island that doesn't bring joy, that isn't going to celebrate you, that isn't going to make you happy and revel in your happiness. And if you really think your friends can't do that, then it's okay to not have them on the island. You can leave the island and go visit them if you like. You and your boyfriend don't have to hang out with them all the time. That's okay too. Your boyfriend never has to hang out with them if he doesn't want to. He'd probably be delighted by that. It's okay to be an island and to decide who gets to come on and off it. That is all for today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have, please let me know. Leave a review, rate, review, subscribe, all of that jazz. Also come and talk to me on social media. You can find me at Harriet Minter and you can find extracts from the show and thoughts about it at Badass Women's Hour. I'll be here same time, same place next week. You've been listening to Badass Women's Hour. If you like the show, then help more people find us. You can tag us or talk to us on social media using at Badass Women's Hour. Or you can be really lovely and leave us a review and a rating. Five stars, please. It helps boost us up the podcast rankings and allows other people to find us. We'll be back next week with more badass guests and in-depth chats.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.